We're on this journey together. I don't know if you guys remember this. Uh, Pastor Jerry's been talking about this praying our way to Pentecost. It's part of the half a million mobilization. And, um, you know, if you go to usacanadaregion.org slash pray, there's things for you to download there. And um, we'll see if... Yeah, this did not. Boy, this this hung up somewhere, so you might have to run my PowerPoint. Okay, awesome. We're trying out some new technology here where I get to change the slides from another tablet. Hey, there it is. There it is. So uh, I got a question for you this morning because we're going to talk about our hearts. What is it about and what is the heart of worship. Have you ever tried to do something with somebody who didn't have their heart in it? Now, I, honestly, I like watching people when I go to the store because funny things happen. Not just when they trip and fall, right? I mean, that's funny as long as they're not hurt. I have that sickness, that disease that when people fall, I tend to laugh. I was in my early 20s one time and there was this gentleman, I was in a bowling league, we were in a men's league, and this gentleman had gotten a new resin reactive ball, they were the new thing, you know, and, and it was drilled just a little bit tight for his thumb. And I kind of think the ball might have outweighed him, he was very slender, he was in his 80s, and he went to go throw that ball, and it didn't come off his thumb, and instead it kind of drug him down a little bit, a few feet down the lane, and then it came off his thumb. And I just had to turn around because he got up. And, you know, those, those lanes are kind of oily and greasy, you know. And he was fine, and I just had to turn around because I couldn't. It was just funny, right? So I like watching people when I go out. I go to the grocery store with Bobby or to the other store, and I like to watch people. Not stalker-type watching people, but watching people, you know. You see a couple shopping, and it's not really hard to tell when one of them likes to shop and the other one doesn't. It's a little difficult to tell if they really like being together sometimes either. You know, you can kind of figure that out pretty quick too. But there's one who likes to shop and then there's that other one that kind of gets that deer in the headlights. They're trapped in the store type look in their eyes. And then that person who likes to shop goes, oh, uh, there's just a few more things. We, we're already here, right? We need to get just a few more things, just a few more things. While we're here, we're going to do this. And the other person is pushing the cart, trying to entertain themselves. They usually have their phone out. You know, hoping the battery doesn't die because why? Their heart is not into shopping. Now, Bobby and I, we shop differently. Bobby likes to shop and she likes to look at things. When I like to shop, I like to go in and get exactly what I want. I know where it is at in the store. I go, I get it, I get out. That's how I shop. Do you know that most men shop that way? And most women don't. We're wired differently Okay, and, and this is one of those things. Bobby likes to look. She didn't even need to buy anything if she's shopping. She just likes to look. She likes to shop, right? Now, I know that not all of us are that way. I mean, there are times when, you know, I go into, say, Big Five or Dick's Sporting Goods near the golf section. You know, they have better clubs in there that would make me a better golfer, right? I'm, I'm sure of it. If Charlie were here, he would, he would tell us a better club would make me a better golfer a lot of times, right? No, he wouldn't say that. 
But let me ask you this. Have you ever been at church and you're in a worship service and your heart is just not into it? You've been there. I've been there. If I've been there, I know you have been there. No matter how gifted the worship leader is or how engaging the pastor preaching is, it seems to me that we tend to sometimes drift off to other places. And, you know, some of them are concerned. I remember uh, one Sunday morning when Pastor Oral Swanson over at the Kennewick Church, he was going a little long in his sermon, and somebody was a little concerned about their roast they had left in the oven for Sunday lunch. And afterwards, they came up to pastor, and he was like five minutes late getting out of church, and they said, you owe me a roast. My roast is going to be burnt by the time I get home. And I thought, oh, wonder if they heard anything he said. I doubt it, but I wonder. But there are really sometimes some silly things that can distract our heart from being engaged with God. Sometimes we're present, but not really present. Have you ever been there? You ever sat with people? And they're there, but they're not really there. Do you like being around that person? It's not usually very fun. It makes you feel ignored and unappreciated, sometimes even disrespected. Nobody wants to be around somebody who's not wanting to be where they're at, right? Do you think God enjoys spending time with us when we have that same kind of mindset? God knows when we come to him with that feeling. He knows when our hearts are wandering. He knows that he actually reveals in the Bible that he doesn't appreciate it. I mean, we may be able to conceal it and put on a good facade, right? But our drifting hearts are evident to God. He sees us at the core of our very being. We can't hide it. And that's what Isaiah says. The Lord says, these people come near me with their mouth and honor me with their lips But their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is based on merely human rules that they have been taught. Now, that was a long time ago that Isaiah wrote that. God told him to tell the people of Israel. And yet, you know what? I find myself needing to hear that scripture even today. Sometimes for me, I drift. See, God doesn't want us to just go through the motions and offer up worship. It's disconnected and passionless. He wants our hearts. And by the way, that's the only thing that you and I have to give him anyways. I love it. On Facebook, there was this little meme of this little stick figure. I love stick figure drawings. They're they're great. And it's this little stick figure holding up a red heart. And of course, you don't really see God. And and the little stick figure says, here, this is all I have. And God's voice says, and that's all I want. Oh. Matthew chapter 15, Jesus reminded us of that very scripture. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. We call it going through the motions, doing our duty, And I have to tell you that there are going to be days in our lives when we show up. I don't know, for those of you who have had children, you probably never had your kids react like this when you've said something like, go clean your room, and they do this. Fine. They're being obedient, right? But maybe not in the best heart way they're being obedient. But haven't we all done that? 
I'm, I'm going to say this, that yes, showing up, there, there is a piece of this, this obedience, that even when we show up with the worst attitude of all, at least we're showing up and God sees that. But he doesn't want us to stay in that state. So how do we handle that? Well, the Bible tells us that prayer is what draws our hearts back to God. Oswald Chambers said this, prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. You know, I kind of get a little bent every once in a while. Someone will say, well, the least we can do is pray. And I thought to myself, I've, I've come to this conclusion. How wrong is that statement? The least we could do is pray. No, that's the, that's the thing that God wants us to do. That's the thing that we can do, that we have the power to do, is to get on our knees and engage our hearts and connect with God. And when we find ourselves disconnected, we find that our hearts are not in being a Christian today or walking a Christ-like walk, that's a good sign that we need to get our knees involved and pray. God wants us to pray. He wants us to be connected to Him. He wants, he wants to be the focus of our lives so that we can follow Him with our whole heart. He doesn't just want us to be present. He doesn't just want you to go through the motions. He wants you to put your heart into the relationship that he has with you. As we engage in sincere prayer, we find our hearts develop a deeper connection to God's heart. And that deeper connection to God's heart is what transforms our heart. And that transformation is a lifelong change where we become more Christ-like. That's the way prayer works. That's why Jesus tells his disciples, wait in Jerusalem until you receive the gift of the Spirit. Go spend some time together in praying before you jump into the work that I have for you. You see, God wanted their hearts to be connected to him. He wanted their hearts to be transformed in that space. If they were going to do the work that God had for them to do, they had to be in it. That's what happens on the day of Pentecost. That's what we're looking towards, right? The disciples, plus about another 110 or so, about 120 of them were up in the room, together behind closed doors. They were a little afraid. They were praying together, some out of Jesus' command, some because they were thinking, what is going to happen next? Jesus is gone. We're to put our trust in him. But he told us to pray, so we're going to pray. The power of the church was born that day, and two things actually happened that day, and I want us to, to look at these two things. The first thing is, is that the disciples were transformed from the fearful hiding disciples to the bold speaking disciples. Now, we do not fully understand the gravity that the disciples felt, even though Jesus had been raised from the dead, he was still no longer present with them. This was all new. This was all different. How many of you guys like different? Hmm. 
I used to think I liked new and different until I got, you know, about two iPhones ago. When it got to the point where I'm like, this is no longer really easy for me to just grab a hold of this thing and start doing stuff with. I have to ask Joshua what to do or, or someone else who has an iPhone what to do with this thing because it is no longer easy for me to switch things over. And I even thought about this the last time we got phones. I thought, you know what? I don't have an iPad anymore. I run a PC. I should get an Android phone. And so I looked at I looked at, uh, grabbed one, a person, friend of ours had an iPhone or an Android phone, and I thought, well, I'll, I'll play with it a little bit. Do you know much, how much new I would have had to learn for that? Are you kidding me? So I just got the next iPhone. I figured my learning curve needs to be as short as possible. No offense to you teachers, but, you know, I'm getting to that point where my learning curve needs to be closer to a flat line than a curve, Right? I'm serious. The disciples, though, were transformed on that day of Pentecost. They were transformed into, into these bold speaking people. John chapter 20 says, On the evening, the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors closed for fear, locked for fear of the Jews, they were, they were done being afraid when the Holy Spirit filled them. I mean, you have to realize the religious leaders who had led them their entire lives that they had looked up to, some of these disciples were even related to them, had just hunted down and murdered Jesus, okay? And even though he raised from the dead and had been with them for, you know, a period of time and had continued to teach them and to show them and to live with them and assure them that he was with them, he ascends, so now what? People were after them. Remember Paul, who used to be Saul? This would have been the time that Saul would have been picking up his papers. He'd have been going after the people associated in what we called the way back then. Okay? Before they were called Christians, they were called the way. Saul would have been after them. The Roman government would have been after them. They were afraid. And it scared them a little bit that Jesus wasn't with them anymore. They would have to face all those fears and trust in this leader who said, I'm going to come back for you. So 120 disciples spent 10 days waiting in prayer. Can I ask a question? And this is of me too. When have you spent 10 days waiting in prayer recently? Have any of us spent 10 days waiting in prayer they spend 10 days waiting in prayer for the promised gift of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God bursts into the room. The disciples emerge from the upper room with great boldness. They proclaim the mighty acts of God to the very people they were afraid of. What changed them? The Holy Spirit. You know, I have people that come in and they sit down in my office and they, they, they need counseling. And they, they're like, Pastor Dan, I need you. It, it, sometimes they come in and say, I need you to fix this. And I'm like, oh, I wish I could. I've had people come in for marriage counseling and for personal counseling and different things. And I have to tell you, I, I can give you a Band-Aid personally. 
We can walk through some things, but unless you yield your life to the Holy Spirit and His transformative work, there isn't going to be any lifelong change. Because the Holy Spirit's the only one that can do that kind of work. The disciples experienced the transformation of their hearts by the Holy Spirit. It was a purification of their hearts. And it brings me to my second point that I want us to remember today in that their hearts were purified from the sin of self-centeredness. Now, I got to tell you, uh, this last week, I was really convicted by this as I read it and thought, oh man, I got to preach this. And I kept thinking to myself as I did this and I said this, I said, you know what? God, there is something here that is just poking at me. This sin of self-centeredness. The disciples' hearts were still carnal, self-centered, self-seeking, self-promoting, self-saving. How many times do we want to save ourselves? How many times do we want to hide behind locked doors? I had to look at God this last week and say, God, that's me. And the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, Dan, that's right, it's you. We got to fix this. The day of Pentecost, Spirit of God falls on them. Radical heart transformation occurred, and they are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And the result of that baptism, God removes this corrupting ambition and cleanses their hearts from self-centeredness. There are some times, as a pastor, we just want to preserve ourselves. There are sometimes as human beings that we all do it, right? The thing of it is, Jesus didn't give us that example. Jesus gave us the example of what it means to be a sacrifice, what it means to be completely poured out. So what an incredibly powerful, hope-filled truth that God has the power to free our hearts from being self-centered or self-seeking or self-promoting so that we become God-centered. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. We jump up to Acts chapter 15. We see Peter reflecting on the day of Pentecost. He was reporting to the council of elders in Jerusalem about how he had gone and spread the gospel to these Gentiles. And how the same Holy Spirit had filled them and they had the same experience as the disciples had on the day of Pentecost. And it was also being experienced now by people who were not Jewish. Now, you've got to realize that's a big deal. Okay? If you were to have walked up to a Jewish person that day, they were a child of Abraham. And because of that, had the promise of God. They were God's promised children. I believe they are still today. It was a really big deal. They expected God to come to them, but not to the Gentiles. Gentiles were outside of the promise. Right? They remembered that God was going to make Abraham a nation that was going to be larger than the sands of the sea, right? Look up at the stars and count the stars. Your kids are going to be more than that. Your descendants will be. But they neglected, they forgot the rest of God's promise found in Genesis twenty-two eighteen, 18, where it says, Through your offspring, all nations on earth 
will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That part of the promise began to be fulfilled. Something new was happening here, something different. There was change happening. The rest of God's promise was coming true. Peter was seeing the same Holy Spirit who changed his heart, also changing the heart of those outside of Abraham's descendants. Now it was both Jews and Gentiles. And the Jewish community saw this as a bit scandalous. Could you imagine? I mean, it's bad enough that that Jesus guy preached about good Samaritans. Come on. Good Samaritans? Are you kidding me? No, that can't be. It's a fulfillment of what Jesus told them was going to happen. Peter's giving his account, and he doesn't note signs and wonders. He reflects back on one reality when he talks to the council. He says this. He tells them that it's God who knows the heart showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between them and us. He purified their hearts by faith. This whole thing is a heart issue. Peter didn't focus on miracles or signs or wonders or gifts. It was the purification of their hearts. Those people that don't look like us. Those people who don't eat the same food as we do. Those people who don't wash their hands the way we were taught to. Those people who do all of these things and live their life in just a way that is not in line with the law. The Holy Spirit did for them what he did for us. I honestly believe that today you and I need that same transformative work but it only comes when we completely surrender our hearts to god it only comes when we begin to embrace the calling and purpose that god placed on each of our lives so many people believe that oh it's just pastors that are called by god a few octobers ago about three octobers ago we got this funny voicemail and text message from Jerry Carter, who, you know, I, I knew the name kind of, sort of, but I didn't. I think I knew who I was, who was sending me the message, and I, I wasn't sure exactly. Hey, Dan, why don't, you, why don't you come help us out? Hey, Dan, why don't you come be on staff over here at Richland? When I, when I gave my notice at Pomeroy, having been there almost 11 years, thinking that I was going to stay there for about another 20 years, you know, because I can sit on my front porch in Pomeroy, let me tell you, and, and in the summertime, drink tea and just wave at people and talk to people as they go by my house, out, out for their walk. And so I, I'm that kind of guy. I can, I can be content doing that, right? But I remember... God working on my heart because the first answer that I had was, Jerry, I, you can't call me. I've been in Tri-Cities before, as an associate pastor before, in another church before. This might be an issue. And Jerry's like, okay, well, I'll talk to a couple people. We'll figure this out and see. And he calls me back. He's like, no, Dan, they, they, they don't think this is a problem. 
okay, well, now we have to really pray about it. Because up until that point in time, I was coming up with every excuse not to. And we begin to pray about it. And we begin to seek God about it. And we begin to realize God is calling us. And I can remember the day that, that I gave my notice. My church board secretary, Ernie Kimball, stood up and said, Listen, we are all called. He's speaking to the congregation. Just as Pastor Dan is following the Good Shepherd, we are all called. You are all called people. God has placed a calling on your life to fully see the needs around us, to be able to allow God to work through us. We are called to lend a hand. We are called to do kingdom work. But we cannot do that except that the Holy Spirit first do a work in the depths of our soul and then work through us. We need a cleansing of self-centeredness, self-seeking, self-promoting. Those things tend to sneak up on us. They're not ugly things, you know. They're not things that are always very evident. They're things that sneak up on us. Why do you think the Bible tells us that Satan comes as an angel of light? He doesn't come in red long johns with a red pitchfork and a tail. If he did every single time, we'd be able to say, hey, wait a minute, you're Satan. I'm not doing that. Right? You know, we, we, we got raised on those Bugs Bunny cartoons where Yosemite Sam put on the devil costume, right? And so we often think we're going to see him coming. The thing of it is we don't. And so we need to pray on a daily basis that God would do that deeper work within us so that we can connect to God's heart and fulfill his mission, his kingdom work, allowing him to work through us. We need this prayer emphasis that gets us to Pentecost. We know our hearts can wander away from, our heart, from the heart of God. We know our passion can recede. We know we can lose focus. That's why we need times like this to have spiritual renewal and awakening. So I want you to ask yourself this morning, do I need to re-engage with the heart of God? And I have to tell you, anytime we ask ourselves that question, anytime I ask myself that question, the answer is always yes. Have you noticed that? The answer is always yes. We have this great opportunity to join in with half a million Nazarenes across the USA and Canada and pray. Can you imagine? I can't. I can't. I cannot imagine what that could create, what that has the potential to do when we join together and pray on a daily basis for the same thing. Five minutes? Could you spare five minutes of your day? I always tell people, start with five minutes. I don't know, Pastor Terry, is that long enough for people to pray? Yeah. It starts out that way. Here's what I've said. I've asked people for five minutes. Give me five minutes of scripture reading a day. Give me five minutes of praying a day. Just do five minutes. Time and time again, I've had people come up and say, Pastor Dan, you asked for five minutes. I can't stop praying at 30. What have you done? 
I didn't do that. I didn't do that at all. That's God. But could you give me five, five minutes is very insignificant in our days. If we take five minutes and multiply it by just this room here, not counting the people who are at home, not counting the people who might watch this later throughout the week. Do you know how many minutes? That's tremendous amount of time of praying together that we could do. And it's what God wants. It's a great opportunity to journal our prayers and to be able to answer those questions. What, what is it that God is telling my heart today? Because you're called. You are a worker in the field. Each and every one of us. And so I want to leave you and ask you this. Will you spend five minutes today, five minutes tomorrow, on your knees before God, praying for workers for the field? The harvest is plentiful. We just need to ask God for the workers. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you and I praise you, Lord, for this time together. Lord God, your scripture tells us that we need to ask. Jesus, when you were here on earth, you told a parable about praying. It was like a woman who had been slighted, who went before a judge every single day. You told your disciples, this is how we need to pray. We need to pray with intentionality. We need to pray with persistence. We need to not give up. Lord God, it is so easy for us, even now and even today, this very moment in, in the different um, situations this, our society finds itself in and our, our world finds itself in. It is so easy to look at that and say, I just want to give up. But Lord God, your word tells us we can't. Not until the day that you come. Not until the day that you send your son back can we stop. And so, Father God, today I pray for, for myself. I pray for those within the sound of my voice. I pray for those who are, have yet to watch uh, this live stream later on this week. Lord God, I pray, Lord, that you would do a deeper work within each and every one of us so that you can work through us. Lord God, we want to be the workers in your kingdom. But Father God, we know that we can't even begin except that you first work in us. Father, that is so important. Holy Spirit, we need your power. We need your work. We need you to be living in us to that point of overflowing. And so Father God, we, we add that to our prayer today. Fill us. Holy Spirit, Lord God, we're praying for our church and we're praying for a denomination, but Lord God, we're praying for your kingdom. Father, would you reach out your hand once again and fill us from the bottom of our feet to overflowing, Lord God, 
that we would be able to take your Holy Spirit around every single place that we go. Father God, that we would be able to immerse people in the Holy Spirit, in, in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord God, that we would be able to immerse those around us in you and in your presence every single place that we go. Father God, that you would be able to touch those who need your touch just because we show up to buy groceries or just because we go to mail something at the post office or just because we go somewhere and we take a walk in a park, Lord God, would you fill us so that you would be able to work through us in that way? Lord God, that you would build your kingdom. Lord, help us to pray. Help us to remember that that is the greater work, Lord God. That isn't just the preparation. That praying is the work that you have for us to do. And so, Father God, as we leave here today, Lord, we wish, we pray, Lord God, that you would instill within us this hunger and this desire, Lord, to connect our hearts with yours on a regular basis. We love you. Lord God, help us. Help us, Lord God, to love you and love others the way that you have commanded us to. We love you and we thank you for all that you've done in our lives. And we thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.